Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tail Chase Podcast. For those of you who are new to the podcast, I'm Nick. And this go-round, Graham and I sit down for a conversation on turkey tactics and some awesome turkey stories. While turkey season uh, is winding down in some states and well underway in others, we thought this would be a great time to put out a podcast that covers some of the incredible things that we've seen while out in the turkey woods. Myself, this year, I was lucky enough to harvest a jake on the opening day of turkey season. Went out to a little piece of public ground that I've had some success on in years past here in Missouri, and got in there a little bit late. I was the third guy in there. And normally, whenever I see other trucks in the parking lot, and they're already in the field, so I don't know where they are, I leave. But this is a pretty big piece of public, and so I decided to chance it with it being one of the few days that I was going to have to turkey hunt. Uh, early in the season at least. So I went out, was lucky enough that uh, nobody had gone to this side of the of the property, and there were th- at least three different toms that were calling on the roost. And because I got there a little bit late, I couldn't sneak in on them on the roost. I had to wait until fly down. And as turkeys do, they quieted down, gobbled a couple times once they hit the ground, and then shut up. Now for the next hour or so, I will... Uh, Closed a little bit of the distance, sat down, called, and if I didn't hear anything in 15 or 20 minutes, I would move a little bit closer. And eventually, I got to where I figured the turkeys had been roosting based off of where I heard them. And as I'm walking along, a tom uh, gobbles on my right, and another tom answers him on my left. And so I think, perfect, I'm sandwiched between two different birds here. Set up my decoy and got set up in a comfortable position where I was well hidden. And for about the next hour called back and forth with a hen that was answering me. The toms had kind of quieted down, you know, and I'd call every 15 minutes or so. And eventually she got really fired up, started cutting really loudly. And then uh, when she started cutting, I uh, answered her, and the tom answered back, the one that was on my right. And he had not closed any distance, but that hen was coming my way. And so I couldn't go to him for fear of spooking that hen and giving away my position. So I just had to stay put, see what happened. And after a couple minutes of uh, hearing those uh, gobbles, I hear something coming at me through the woods. And I think, oh, great, you know, this hen's coming in, and at least I'll see her. Maybe she's got a tom in tow. Who knows what's going to happen here? And I look up, and it's a six-pack of jakes. And for those of you uninitiated out there, a jake is a immature uh, gobbler, so a a young gobbler, young male turkey. And they came through, and I thought, you know what, Uh, might be a little bit less meat, but uh, can't pass up an opportunity on public land. So they came through, first two passed through my little shooting lane that I had there, and I uh, pulled the trigger on the third one, fried him up with some morels that night for dinner, and man, doesn't get much better than that. So, plenty more stories where this one came from on this episode. Thank you guys for listening, and really hope you enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Tail Chase Podcast. This week, Graham and I are going to uh, talk turkey tactics a little bit. Uh, yes, we felt it was appropriate with turkey season right around the corner. Um, when does spring season open for you guys in Missouri? April 19th through May 10th Okay, is regular season. And then I think the week before that is youth Okay, right. Which we don't in Missouri. You don't have a separate archery season, right? No, Mm-mm. no. But you guys in Kansas do, don't you? Yeah, yeah, they yeah. do. I don't. I don't think I'll get out any, but uh, I just have too many irons in the fire right now with the move and um, changing jobs and all that stuff. So right. I don't think I'm going to do it, but. Um, I'm hoping I'll get a chance to go out either with you and or my dad um, just to, you know, go sit and watch. Um, yeah. Call for either one of you. Um, but I don't think I'll have time to do it myself. Gotcha. Yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, 
seeing those turkeys yesterday when we were out fishing got me fired up, man. I was I was loving that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we uh and I still like I'm I'm oh, I've been replanting in my mind uh seeing those tracks on that sandbar and just being like, man, I now all I want to do is kill one on a sandbar. I know, I man. Just like the idea of it of sitting along a river and there's Tom strutting through the sand and we saw those drag marks you know mm-hmm. of the wingtips um and uh yeah i have to kill one on the sand now yeah that's that's the next thing for sure no yeah. it's cool like we're walking walking to our spot and uh you know flushed i don't know at least a dozen turkeys i would say yeah. from and they crossed the river and then we're sitting there fishing and uh like 20 minutes later i hear this hen fire up and uh-huh. And after about 10 minutes of her calling intermittently, I hear two toms just boom, boom, one right after the other. And then for the next like hour, as we're sitting there fishing, they were carrying on and toms are gobbling and the hens calling and owls hooting. And it's like, oh yeah, it's, it's yeah. good to be that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we, we hit that spot almost annually about same time seems like for the last few years mm-hmm. uh this was a little bit earlier though because i remember last year the is it i don't think it's dogwoods but the the little purpley pink tree you know what i'm talking about yeah that that is usually blooming in the pictures that i have of, mm-hmm. of being down there in the past and it wasn't there this year so yeah probably you know and plus i think we've tried to halfway turkey hunt and fly fish at the same time so we, yeah we didn't do it last year but the year before we did and then like a bunch of other people were out there and yeah just, like wasn't able to make anything happen but it was right. so cool being you know in the game anyway where you're out there fishing and knowing like yeah you could turn around and hear a gobble and end up yeah. going and you know knocking one over yeah yeah it'd be cool we were talking yesterday about um to catch a trout find him around and shoot a tom same mm-hmm. day yeah there's a missouri slam that's like like a spring slam or whatever that's that but i don't think it's trout i think it's crappie oh crappie yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's but, much more characteristic and native right right you know? yeah but it's still would be cool too yes yes yeah. it, it would still be cool to uh to do the trout thing in that spot because mm-hmm. i've seen turkeys like we've tur- we've been in the mix with turkeys there during turkey season right found a morel and caught trout so that'd be cool especially yeah. like if you caught a rainbow so that you could cook them all up in the same day yeah that'd be cool yeah well and i don't know that anybody's ever caught a big brown out of there but you can keep the browns if they're over i think it's 18 inches which it's I mean, 15 but oh. 15 mm-hmm. which would be a really nice that'd be a nice brown trout especially for there um yeah but, and i read about you know when i first discovered that area um i first read about it in missouri conservationist mm-hmm. and um the guy was talking about catching a ton of brown trout in like a couple hours and this i think was in november mm-hmm. which like if you know in missouri the problem is it's Basically, it's just too warm for trout. The water is in a lot mm-hmm. of places. Right. Um, to uh, live year-round and reproduce and all that stuff. But um, uh, I think, you know, if you think about it, like the colder parts of the year are actually better for the trout in that water because it's going to be colder, you know. Right, right. Um, so you might actually do better in like october november or february than you would right now or later i'm not sure gotcha I yeah. in october and, and had some good success yeah and, uh, and there's some decent smallmouth in there too not like anything huge by any means but i've never caught a smallmouth down here really um i've caught three or four out of that stretch um gotcha. all like in the probably 10 to 15 inch range Um, on the same you know like crawdad pattern streamers mm -hmm. and stuff yeah streamers yep 
same tactics, um, and in the same places, pretty much. Hmm. You know, which, you know, we were talking yesterday uh, about, it's just, it sucks being a landlubber, you know, <laughs> not having a boat, because there's so many, that river's big enough that, like, there's things that you wish you could access, but you just can't from the mm, bank. Right. Um, at least uh, not easily. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it'd be really nice to be able to park the boat and really work a stretch or work a spot and then move on. Right. Because um, a lot of it is kind of featureless. You know, mm -hmm. like there may be some stuff submerged that you don't really know what's under there um, or how to fish it. But there's a lot of runs where it's just like it's just river and you don't know how to work it or anything. Right. Um, and whatever you do want to work is on the other side. Mm -hmm. So you're not and it's deep enough. You're not going to be able to wade to it a lot of the times. Yeah. It'd be nice to have a drift boat down here. There's enough stuff like, you know, going down to Taney and in those areas when that's really what you need to have if you're gonna go out and stack trout uh -huh. i did but, see a guy go up that river yesterday before you got there in a motorboat with a jet jet motor or jet jet boat um i'm not sure what it was i just know it had you know an engine on the back of it and saw gotcha. it go, i was on the other side of the trees but i just saw it go zooming by most of the guys that have river boats here are running jet boats because it's they tend to be smaller we saw them all over the place whenever we were doing the float on the 11 point um because you can run them real shallow you don't have to worry about busting your prop yeah um so yeah that that may be the thing to do you can't i mean you can't fish quite as well out of them as you can a drift boat but you know they're still usable and you can you know park it and then get to the other side because the big thing when the flow is as high as it is right now which is pretty like typical you know and yeah. you get a really dry stretch it's going to be about the name is going to be about what it is um you can't cross it like it just gets too deep there and in, and in most places to actually get across it and and fish the side that you know looks better it always right? looks better right yeah right. and then you get on the other side and the where you were looks better mm -hmm. yeah right. um yeah right now it was just under 300 cfs which i think it was every bit of that yesterday and to me like that 300 is like the minimum <coughs> or, or, or not the minimum 300 is like the maximum yeah like that you can effectively wade at least that part of it. Right. Um, and actually a little lower is better if you're going to be walking and wading. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm curious what it's going to be today. We've, we've talked about, we may end up taking Devin up there today and, and going and fishing it or chasing white bass or something. Cause the weather's going to be nice. Yeah. It is beautiful out. Yeah. So let's get into some, some Turkey tactics. We did an episode on turkeys Oh man, it's been a couple of years now since we actually recorded that, I think, which is, is crazy. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was Gosh. not that long after I killed that Tom. So it was not last spring, but the spring before. So it's crazy, man. Yeah. Time flies, but yeah. So I went and did some turkey hunting last year and dude, it was rough. Like we didn't, I didn't even see any turkeys whenever we were out hunting. We heard them, but uh -huh. nothing, nothing close, anything like that. So we don't have anything from last year to pull from, but yeah. we, between the two of us, we've done a fair bit of turkey hunting and I think it'd be helpful for people if we can kind of go over some of the tactics that, that, uh, we've used in the past to be successful. Mm -hmm. So, you know, talk to like kind of some of your, your tactics, calling strategies, those kinds of things. Um, so if I had to, you know, describe just like a textbook turkey hunt in Northwest Missouri, where I'm from, um, and how I got started in it is you go out, you scout them, especially in the evenings. I mean, it's good to look in the mornings too, to know where they're hanging out. But for the most part, you're going out in the evenings and you're trying to roost them. So you're trying to spot them in the field and then watch them until dark and see them fly up in the tree 
unfortunately, a lot of times that tree is on a ditch because just about every square inch of tillable ground is farmed um, in that part of the country. And so the only place where there's big enough trees is where it's untillable. It's a creek. It's a giant ditch or whatever. Um, and so that means that when they fly down, they can fly down on either side. Mm. And that's always tough because just because you see them on one side in the evening doesn't mean that that's where they fly down in the morning. Right. Um, and I can tell you that they, there's a couple things they don't like. They don't like to fly down in tall cover because they can't see what they're landing on. You know, there could be a coyote down there or whatever. And yeah, they're that effect, Yeah. Um, like feature described as like anything above like where the feathers end on their neck, they're not going to be in because they can't see when they're feeding. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, it's a giant 20 pound bird coming down from 75 feet up in a tree. Like it's not going to come down on anything that could hurt it. Like that's a lot of what it, not inertia, but a lot of, yeah, yeah, no inertia. Mass coming mm-hmm. down. Um, so uh, if they got the choice, um, I'd say most of the time they're going to pick bean stubble to fly down into over corn stubble, even though they might rather eat corn. Um, and so then it's figuring out where they're wanting to fly down at. Then you go and you get there early in the morning, set up as close as you can to where they're roosting and you get there plenty early before they wake up, put your decoys out. Um, as far as the spread, you know, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody run like a big spread. And now that I think about it, I don't know why, I don't know why you wouldn't run 10 decoys. I don't know if it's just convenience or what, yeah, but no. most people set up, you know, a couple of hens and Tom or a couple of hens and a Jake. Um, and, in those situations, that's just like there's some skill to it, but there's also I feel like a lot of luck because it depends on who you're dealing with as a tom. Like, is he big? You know, it's like um, herd bulls and satellite bulls. Mm-hmm. You know, like are you dealing with like the biggest baddest tom around? And so you could use a full fledged strutting tom decoy, and he's going to come over and try to beat it up. Or if you do that, is he going to be intimidated by it? You know. Right. Um, but, uh, so you set up your decoys, um, turkeys will start talking at the first light or just a little before, and it'll be just real soft yelps, you know, and you'll just barely hear them a lot of times. Um, usually it seems like it starts with one hand and then maybe a couple will start talking back and forth and that's called tree talk. And you can engage in that a little bit. Um, I've always been afraid to talk too much because um, for whatever reason, uh, hens some hens sometimes don't want the tom to come to you. I don't know if that's a competition thing or if they sense that something's off and they're trying to lead them away from danger yeah Um, i think it's i think it's a competition thing they definitely have a pecking order and so you can uh do you can do one of two things you know it's like you can get her so upset that she wants to come over and and kick your butt like who's this loudmouth hen but more likely than not what she's going to do is try and herd that tom away from from that other hen you know especially if she's looking to be bred yeah so yeah, like um, I've I've heard him talk about like there's there's a whole pecking order and and like in order for that hen to select that tom to be the one to breed with like there's all kinds of social stuff that goes on behind the scenes that we're not always privy to, uh-huh. uh, especially you know just walking into an area and and uh, you know and engaging with them you know in that short term right. thing so. Right. So yeah, like you can, I, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I try to not overcall when they're in the trees, you know, maybe just, you know, use that time as an opportunity, to like locate them, find out where they're at and then, you know, get an idea of, okay, 
where are they going to go down at? Because you can definitely uh -huh. cause them to go the opposite direction if you get those hens like upset at you and thinking uh -huh. like that you're going to be competition for their uh, their breeding. Right, and sometimes uh, I've only had it happen a couple times. More often than not. I don't feel like the Tom is necessarily responding to my tree talk. There have been just a couple of times where for whatever reason, they just loved it and they were just hammering every time I made a sound. Um, and it worked like they came on a string, but, uh, a drop, you know, or a coin in the bucket of it being a competitive thing is I remember one time, uh, I had a couple toms and several hens across the field from me, and I knew that they like to um, head south. And so, like, they'd fly, they'd roost in one spot, but by like 10 o'clock in the morning, they'd be at this other spot. So I decided to go set up at the other spot, and rather than try to get them to come to me, uh, I was just going to be where they wanted to be anyway just set up an ambush basically. Mm -hmm. And I did have a couple decoys out. Um, and, uh, so I was calling and wasn't getting a ton of response. Um, and then I got pretty aggressive, started, um, you know, uh, these real excited purrs and putts and clucks and, um, sounds that I've heard them make when they're just being real rambunctious and kind of, um, uh, almost fighting with each other or just, chasing each other around in the woods and that like flipped a switch and the toms started hammering and they were like on their way and several times in the you know several hundred yard journey across the field to me this hen would cut in front of them and try to circle around and lead them back the other way and hmm. they didn't you know they just kept on coming and so she run back in front of them and trying to lead them away and she did that like i said multiple times the whole way that they, they were coming to me like she was trying to like lead them away from me interesting you know? and in that case i do think that it was a uh competitive thing they yeah like oh we don't like that you know our our boys are showing this new girl this much attention you know right it's it's interesting like how you can play into those things and sometimes it works so well and other times like they can kind of take it or leave it same thing with decoys you know sometimes they're like oh i'm gonna go kick that jake's butt like who does he think he is over there with that hen mm -hmm. other times like they I, I can remember that hunt when you shot that bearded hen when yeah. you you've got one of those like i think they're b-mobile yeah. Uh, decoys with the the tail the fan that comes up, that and, down. up and down mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and tom is across the field maybe what two and 250 yeah. yards away something like that and he had a few um hens with him that would like kind of come in walk into the woods and come back out whatever and then we've got another tom decoy there with multiple hens and you know movement and everything and he just doesn't even care yeah. And other times, like I've done the the turkey reaping thing. Yeah. And I've, you know, just basically shown them a tail fan and at uh -huh. 300, the, the first bird I killed doing it came yeah. at a dead sprint from 300 yards away, saw that other fan and was like, oh no, like I'm going to go beat him up. Uh -huh. Like it's just, it's interesting how you get those situations where now, something he, clicks for him. Did he have hens with him at the time? He had another Tom with him okay but they were running away we were they were like out in this open field and they had hens with them whenever we ever we initially saw him and we used this creek bed um to to close the distance and they were like i mean a half mile out in this field and so like we we cut the distance big time and then we got up there and as we were getting close we heard coyotes calling like close to where the turkeys were so i think that the coyotes like spooked him because they were way far away and running away. And I just like popped out into this cornfield or this, uh, I think it was a cut bean field. And they were, like I said, heading the opposite direction quickly. Just popped out, popped that fan up and down. And he turned around and came on a rope. Yeah. And I killed him at like 10, 15 feet. 
mm-hmm. still coming in. Yeah. So. Um, they, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an extremely effective tactic. Um, I don't know that I've ever had it not work. Um, I've had it maybe be ignored, but I've never had it like not work. Like I've never had it scare them off. Yeah. Just the tail fan. I did you know? one time, but it was hard telling, you know, what caused that. They were a pretty good ways away. They could have like seen around the fan and didn't like something. I, I don't, but that was a bit like, like before I had kind of like gotten the hang of actually doing it the right way. Um, but yeah, it seems like it's one of those things that like they have a bubble and it's different yeah. for each bird and, and different, you know, timing wise, but, uh, you know, it might be 300 yards. It might be 30 yards, but most of the time they'll let you get close. And then at some point they're like, Oh yeah, like not cool dude. Get out of here. Uh huh. Well, one nice thing about it, um, is you are able to invade that bubble. Because, like, if you think about it, you know, you've got your little Tom and your three hen decoys, and you're trying to lure this other Tom with his three or six hens or whatever he's got. Why is he going to leave his hens that he's already got to come, you know, risk damage to himself or losing mm-hmm. his own hens by coming and fighting your Tom? Sometimes they're fired up enough to do it, but sometimes, like, it just doesn't make, uh, whatever evolutionary sense right and then do that you know they're like all right well you've got your three and i've got my six so we're gonna go our separate ways right but um if you are doing reaping then you're able to invade that bubble and force them to make a stand mm-hmm. you know um and uh you were talking about them seeing around the fan mm-hmm. uh the first time that I did it, uh, I had a Tom that he wasn't cooperating. He had a bunch of hens and we were in a ditch and they kind of went up over the hill in bean stubble. And so I took my shotgun and my turkey fan and just army crawled up the hill as fast as I could and got up to like the crest of the hill. Right. And I'm laying there shotgun in one hand fan in the other on my belly and uh look to my right and there's a hen like 20 yards away standing there staring at me at a Mm. right angle so she can see my full body laying out on the ground and and the fan is in profile you know so like she doesn't see the fan she just sees me Mm -hmm. and she's just standing there like trying to figure out what's going on and so i just take the fan and turn it 90 degrees so that it is like, you know, she sees the full fan mm-hmm. and she's just like, oh, okay. And then just goes on about picking around and just like accepts it that that's normal, you know. Mm-hmm. And so then I've kind of got it at like a 45 because I'm trying to keep her calm. But I know that the rest of the turkeys are in front of me just over the crest of the hill. And then I like look in front of me and the tom is coming back over the hill. I don't know if he could see the top of my fan, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's coming and he's kind of half strut and he's doing that like trot thing, you know, mm-hmm. yep. and he's coming just to like kill me, you know, I and same thing as you just like five yards, just blew him away. And that was cool. Cause it's, it's pretty cool when you're hunting something that's, even if it's mistaken about what you are, it's coming to either kill you or to fight you. Yeah. Yeah. And I've I've seen turkeys like going at it before uh-huh. and man, they get after it. Like yeah. I mean, fighting each other and ripping feathers out and jumping up and hitting each other with those spurs and Yeah. It's They're crazy. wicked. Some of some of those longer spurs are wicked sharp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen pictures yeah. of guys that like pick up a tom when it's still thrashing and it Ooh. and it literally like cuts down to the bone in their hand. Like it's it's nasty. Like you you don't grab those spurs until that thing is dead dead. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I remember uh-huh. back in the day you joking around about uh, one to like because you had kind of done some uh, bow hunting for turkeys, uh-huh. and you know there's it's tough. Like there's a lot of times whenever it just doesn't work out. You know you, you hit the bird and it just 
it's a, it's a very, very small spot that you're going to be able to hit them in and, and kill them. And so you express frustration in like shooting a bird and it not, you know, you hit it, but it didn't kill it or, you know, or whatever. Uh-huh. And joking around about wanting to shoot him with a fish arrow and yeah. <laughs> lines of the, they couldn't get away. I was like, man, there's no way that I'm going to grab a 25 pound Tom that's still alive on the end of a string. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you want to know something funny is, okay. So not that, you know, I uh, deserve any credit for coming up with Turkey reaping or whatever, but before reaping was like mainstream, um, I was joking around and I put my B mobile decoy on my head uh-huh. and you know took some pictures of it and like posted it was like the future of you know like a future decoy or whatever and somebody posted on there like a, a fellow turkey hunter was like that looks like a good way to get shot you know mm-hmm. and um and then lo and behold like a couple years later turkey reaping hits the fan or hits you know the main thing and pretty much everybody in that world knows what you're talking about now yeah yeah it kicked off with some seem like anyway the guys in iowa the um chasing the rut guys in that mm-hmm. group like chancy walters and uh and all those guys that uh, that yeah kind of i think they're the ones that actually sold the patent to mojo if i remember right really yeah because they were the they were the first guys that i ever saw that were like had videos of it and they uh-huh. have you know they'd have a like a similar thing like a full strut a full strut decoy and then yeah. they put multiple fans on it. So you had like more ground behind it to like, mm-hmm. and, and I it's saw them doing to uh, bow hunt where uh-huh. like, you know, you'd be able to draw and then come out to the side and it's crazy, man. Uh, one of the earliest videos that I saw was what looked like cousin Moe's uh, doing it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Have you seen I re- that video? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He's like out there in his overalls and he mm-hmm. has a fan and this like single shot uh you know hammer shotgun mm-hmm. um yeah yeah i remember seeing that video that was like right when when it got hot and then mm-hmm. mojo came out with the like shoot and scoot and, mm-hmm. and it, it became a thing it's an yeah. effective tactic man you have to be really careful doing it because people yeah. get shot turkey hunting every single year not doing that so yeah. you, you know you're you're asking for it big time mm-hmm. So you yeah, gotta be really careful. Don't do it in the woods. No, no, no. You know, if you're gonna do it, make sure it's wide open and preferably if you're the only one there, like it's yeah. private property or something. But right, yeah, doing it on public is is really really dangerous. Even if you're in the open, you never know what some other person is gonna gonna do. But mm-hmm. um. Yeah, so let's let's talk. You know, continue the the calling tactics thing. So it's it is definitely a little bit different down here because rarely do you see birds like they're not visible the same way that they are up north. So the way that like you and I started turkey hunting, um, it like you know if there are turkeys there, a lot of times you're going to see them. Like yeah, they spend time in those in the small wood lots and. Um, and in those ditches and stuff. But if you spend very much time out and about where turkeys are, you're going to see them Yeah. in the springtime. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. So you're really reliant down here on getting a Tom to talk so that you have an idea of, is he there? Is he not? Or, and where, you know, how far? Uh-huh. Um, um, so we talked about like kind of how you do things from, the time like when they're in the tree after fly down what uh what does that look like typically for you oh that's the most agonizing part because a lot of times they shut up mm-hmm. you know you might have a tom that's just like bam 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 gobbling his head off at every little sound and then right about fly down time nothing you yeah. know are you fly and, down you get one where it's like oh it sounds like he's on the ground and yeah. then nothing yep and then yeah and you know 50 percent of the time or whatever it is um they just head the other direction the hands lead them away you know mm-hmm. and that is again where i feel like it's 
really important to try to either be where they want to go, you know, like if mm-hmm. they like to fly down here and they head to the other end of the field by whatever time that you see them in the mornings, um, either be on their way to that spot so that they come by you uh, or you get yourself really close so that you're in the bubble that we talked about where yeah. he's like, this is a threat that I need to go take care of. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, if you are right where they want to fly down, unless you do something to screw it up, like they see you on the ground or um, you really bother those hens and make them fly the opposite direction or fly on the other side of the ditch. If you're in that bubble, he's going to want to come establish who's boss. Right. You know? Yeah. And um, you know, when they're, when they're in the tree, and they're doing that tree talk and, and goblin and all that. They're taking a survey, it seems like. Like, okay, who's around? Let's let's all get together. And a lot of times, especially when a Tom flies down and is, and is quiet, seems to me like most of the time that means he's got hens with him or he's not really that receptive. Mm-hmm. You know, like if the Toms that like fly down and keep goblin, like, yeah, maybe he could have hens with him and he's just, you know, fired up and he's going to go breed those hens. But a lot of times it's a bird that's like, I ended up in a tree and there's nobody else around me. So I'm looking yeah. for looking to breed. Um, and that can change from day to day. You could have the same Tom that sits in a tree by himself and is totally silent. And then the next day his testosterone is up and he's ready to, ready to rock. Mm-hmm. But so, you know, a lot of times they'll fly down. They don't want to make a lot of noise. They don't want to get grabbed by something else. And they've got what they want around them. You know, the hens and the him all flew down in the same area. You know, he breeds and, they pe- you know, they walk around and peck the ground and eat. And then those hens, after a few hours, if, they're, if they have a nest, they will go and sit that nest. Mm-hmm. And then that's when a lot of times, like, you know, 9, 10, 11 o'clock, you'll start to hear those toms sometimes open back up like that, you know, like that's the same bird and he's been silent for two hours, but. And that's the, that's the hardest thing is cause you've been out there since four. Right. Right. You know, and you hear, um, you hear guys, you know, that have done it a lot that'll say like, I mean, unless I am confident that I'm going to be able to get one on fly down, I'm not going to go out till nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. I'll save my energy and go out there when the toms are going to be more receptive and the hens are sitting nests. Mm -hmm. But, you know, then you don't know for sure where the birds are at and you don't know who else has been in there and all that. So I, you know, I've not been able to bring myself to, to do that, but I do move around too. Like that's the thing. Like if I go out in the morning and I don't hear any birds talk and it's nine o'clock and I haven't heard anything, I'll go to a different spot. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you never know. Yeah. But like I said, down here, you got to find that, that Tom that is talking and kind of what I try to do is, you know, you find the bird and you close the distance as much as you can get as close as you can without spooking the bird you know so that's that varies by terrain you know maybe he's over the lip of a ridge so you can get within 45 yards of him or whatever before he's going to see you and i'll try and not make a peep until i get as close as i can maybe it's it might be 400 yards is the closest i can get because it's open up you know there's a big Mm -hmm. field between me and him and he might be on the edge of that field and i start walking out to him and well he's can he can see me from easily from that distance um, you know, you just get using the terrain to your advantage and get as close as you can to them and then sit down and call quietly to start with. Mm-hmm. And I, I do the, I do that. I, uh, start soft and subtle and work my way up if I need to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like down there, it's definitely more, um, well, it's almost more like elk hunting, you know, it's, uh, it's more about, well, it's, it's just, it's almost like superior in every way. I feel like to Northern Missouri where it's like, this is the field they hang out in go set up in that field. Um, whereas down there, it's like you, I feel like you need to have a better understanding of the habitat of where they need to, of where they like to hang out because it's not going to be as obvious. It's not like, it's this cornfield that I can see from the road, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then it's also, it sounds like down there, it's more about sound. 
Yeah. Yeah. So getting, getting up on a ridge and being able to listen down into different, uh, you know, different little drainages and stuff is important. Cause that's the other thing. Like it's, it's rocky country, you know, in, in a lot of the places where I'm at hunting, you know, on the, on the public. And so sound can carry pretty good, but if they're over the lip of a hill, you know, they might be 200 yards away and you can't hear them. If you're not getting an echo back off of another side, like, and they're casting it out the other direction, like it's, it can be hard to hear them sometimes. So it's, it's fun. And like, yeah, man, you say superior, it it is definitely frustrating at times. Like it's kind of nice, you know, to go out and like, Oh yeah, they're like, I know what they're doing because I can actually see them. Mm-hmm. And so it can be tough to learn here because when things don't go right, you don't know what, you, like what happened. Like mm-hmm. I've, I've had birds, um, that I've called, like they were within shotgun range easily, but couldn't see them and just gobbling their heads off. Like, you know, perfect. Like you think, all right, this is going to happen any second now. And then nothing. And then you look, it's like, did somebody else come walking in? Mm-hmm. Because like, you know, it's possible that somebody can't, you know, whatever this bird's hot. And so it's, you know, and there's other people hunting around. So, it, you know, did somebody come in and that, that Tom saw him or heard him or whatever? Did he get nervous? Did he have a hen with him that carried him off? Like what, ha- what happened? Mm-hmm. But it, it's definitely fun. And I feel like, you know, if you can kill turkeys in this part of the state and in other states like Arkansas and um, Alabama, where there's, they're really tough to hunt because you've got big woods and there's a lot of pressure, like you can kill a Tom in pretty much anywhere. Yeah. And there are they, they're all Easterns down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we've got anything but Easterns in this state. Okay. Um, you get, you get into Rio's out in Kansas, but you got to go a good ways West. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like Rio's and Merriam's. I like the white mm-hmm. tips and feathers. Um, so do you think uh should we say something about like what reaping is yeah yeah so for you uninitiated out there so turkey reaping is basically crawling out behind a it can be as little as a turkey fan um you know it's like spread out you know and so that it covers you and that can be enough to get the birds fired up. What I use is a turkey fan and it's got like a cape. So it's like the feathers from the back um, and, and down to the wings and almost up to the head that I'd saved from a turkey and, and put it on like a piece of uh, coroplast, like plastic uh, cardboard. And then I've got the wings and then it goes down to a little stake and then I've got a plastic uh, decoy head that sits like right about where the head would be in a full strut Turkey. And that way I can hide really well behind it and stake it down. And you know, it covers my entire body. So the only thing that the Turkey is seeing, you know, is my little eye poking out the bottom or to the side and the, the fan, the wings and, and those, those feathers. So yeah, like, you know, typically how it works when you're reaping a Turkey is there is a Turkey in a known location and then you, hide behind the fan and crawl towards them you know either that be prone or down on your knees depending on um you know are you out in an open field and there's a little bit of concealment from the cover the the ground cover or you know how big your your decoy itself is and just that movement and and getting inside their bubble tends to uh get them upset enough to usually come over and that a I mean, sometimes it's slow, but often it's very quickly and they are looking to come over there and get in a fight. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to just let them, let them come as far as they're going to go. Dude, they, I, I've thought about that. I don't have the nerve to do it. You don't want to find out? No. No. Yeah. Um. So some of the things like for people that are getting into turkey hunting, um, get proficient with your calls, practice well before turkey season and call 
quieter than you think you need to. I know it, like it can be tough. It's a lot easier to call loudly than it is to call subtly and well, but being able to call quietly, I feel like is an underrated thing. Like so many people go out there and hammer on a box call or yelp really loud with a, a diaphragm or, you know, a, a reed in their mouth. And that's good. Like it's good to be able to cast that sound out and get a response from a turkey. But as far as for getting a Tom interested in coming to you, mm-hmm. I feel like those those subtle noises do a more consistent job of getting the turkey to come your way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do little things like because there's there's a question as to whether that tom is going to come all the way to you or what happens sometimes is they'll come part way and they hang up and then it's like they're expecting you to close the distance or they can't see where this sound is coming from like let's say they're in a field and you're in the woods they can't see the hen that is supposedly making this noise mm-hmm. and so they hang up and they're like okay show yourself you know Right. Um, So that's, I I talked with Chris Lee a little bit about that. You know, you're trying to go against their biology. Most of the time in the wild, the the gobbler might close the distance a little bit, but the hen is going to go to him, especially if she is calling like, Hey, I'm looking for a Tom, you know, that's, that is the noises that you're doing to entice another Turkey to come in. She's going to go to that Tom. And so you're trying to kind of go against their biology a little bit. And so it's really been in your uh, best interest to put some kind of terrain feature between you and the turkey where he has to be in shotgun range before he would be able to see where that noise is coming from. Whether yeah. that be a little bit of thick cover or just on the other side of a hill or you can be in a little bit of a depression where he's going to come in and when he pops up and can see where you are, he is within shotgun range. That's not always possible, and that's not to say that the, that the Tom is going to hang up. But a lot of times that is what will happen. Like if you're on a piece of paper and the Tom is on one side and you're on the other, and you, you know, it, you know it's whatever, you know, a, a, a blank sheet, he can see a long ways, you know, if you're in open timber with no under, undergrowth. And so from 100 yards away, or maybe it's 60, he's – likely is not going to come in look and and realize i should be able to see this hen i should be able to see where this noise is coming from and i can't and so i there's there should be a bird here and then we'll kind of walk around sometimes at that distance and then leave yep they're i mean they're not smart but their instincts save them a lot of times yeah they're, uh, my dad said this one time, and they, he said they're, they are incredibly stupid, but incredibly wary. That's, that's a good way to put it. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've heard of guys talking about, I've never seen it, um, but that they're so dumb that in like young poults in a rainstorm will look up with their mouth open and drown. Now, I don't know how much I, I believe, I don't know if I believe that, but I will tell you this. When I worked at a farm store in yeah. uh, high school and college, we would get chicks and turkeys in. And the chicks, you didn't have to do anything with. But the turkeys, you had to take at least a few of them and put their face in the water and show them that that's where the water was or else they would dry. Would They would die. They wouldn't drink. Wow. Like I'm not, I'm, that's not a joke. We had a shipment of turkeys that came in and there, and we, uh, we had a new manager that had never dealt with them and nobody else. This is, well, it's the first time we'd ever got turkeys in, I think. And nobody knew it. And all the, like the entire shipment died, you know, like 20 birds or something. And so we called the, called the, uh, um, the hatchery. I was like, Hey man, like all these turkeys died. What's up? And they're like, well, did you show them how to drink? No. And the next batch we did it with and they were all fine. Wow. Huh. Okay. Hell that they might be onto something. Yeah. Um, one of the, you know, we were talking about 
putting a feature between you and the turkeys or whatever mm-hmm. to get them to when they do get to where they can see you being in range. Something else you can do to try to draw them a little bit further is whatever you were, uh, whatever volume you were calling at that brought them in or has them started coming in, you can start to fade away. Mm. Or direct your call with your mouth, you know, like cup your hand around your mouth mm. and direct it away from the tom so he thinks, oh, crap, like she's walking away. I got to pick it up or I got to, you know, get closer. Um, and that's that's one way. And you can do things like if you've got some loose leaves on the ground and he's mm-hmm. looking for you, you can scratch those leaves, you know, and add some like purrs and putts. And he's that just sounds like a content hand that's just feeding around in the woods. And it's just another subtle little sound to add in that adds some realism. Yeah. Uh, you're calling. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's definitely like I've, I've seen that work very well. Like last, uh, that the last bird that I killed that, that one in public a couple of years ago, it, uh, I called, you know, loud enough where he could hear it from a good distance. And then when he got close, I was barely making noise, but he was still like, I mean, even from 90 yards in the woods, he was able to hear it. Their their sense of hearing is incredibly acute. Mm -hmm. And, and he was, you know, firing off to those calls. But I mean, you can also go the opposite direction with it too, which is what I will typically do. You know, I will, you know, start real subtle. When I sit down and I'm like, okay, I hear a Tom over here. I think this is a likely spot. Sit there and call, you know, give it a few minutes if you don't hear anything and get progressively more aggressive, you know, as maybe it's 30 minutes, maybe it's an hour, maybe it's half the day that you're sitting there. Who knows? You know, it's kind of depends on what, you know, how much time you've got and what you want to do. But there are definitely times it's like you start out subtle and you get no response and you work your way up. And eventually, you know, you're like, cackling and and making all kinds of noise and then the tom is like okay like yes and answers you and then it's coming and if Mm -hmm. and maybe you you need to keep him fired up to keep him coming Mm -hmm. a lot of times like i will kind of do that get him fired up maybe go back and forth for five minutes and then kind of fade away and -hmm. a lot of times it you know especially if he cools off uh he may not come but there's a good chance it maybe it's right then and there maybe it's you know an hour but he's going to go to that spot and see where this hen was at now i've got mm-hmm. a story about that so i had a tom he was on a neighboring property on a piece of private that i had and i'd been hunting on the on this um this guy's farm all morning hadn't had any luck and i'm sitting there in his um driveway talking with him and he's like oh you should try calling again like just, he doesn't really know much about it. I was like, okay, I'll humor him. So I, you know, let out a series of yelps and then across the fence, a Tom answered, but not on his property. And he's like, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. My neighbor probably wouldn't let you going over there. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll just go and sit down um, and uh, see if he'll come and cross the fence. And I mean, he was fired up every little thing I did. He was answering. And I sat down for half an hour and he was answering me, but he, I couldn't get him to close the distance and I couldn't go to him. Uh, and so I left and then the, the landowner called me. He's like, Hey, you, are you, uh, are you still out there? He's like, no, I left. He goes, Oh, that, that Tom just, uh, crossed the fence. It was like an hour and a half later and, and was walking right where I was. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it's funny how that happens. Like a lot of times that's, that's what's going to happen. You know, you, you quiet down, he, he's content where he's at and then something changes, his hens leave or, and he yep. goes, you know what, I, I'm going to go check out over there. See, uh, see where she's at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they come that way. Yeah. You know, a lot of people have, um, uh, one thing I've noticed about turkey hunting, it's kind of like, fishing. um, is there, people have a way of doing things that mm-hmm. maybe worked for them or works for them a good amount of the time or worked for them once. And they're like, this is what you got to do. And so if you ask about, you know, a good number of turkey hunting folks, they're going to have some weird quirk that they're like, 
this is this is the ticket. This is what you got to do. Right. One of them that I've heard was a guy was like, call and get a gobble once and then shut up and then just sit there and sit there all day because they will come there at some point during the day to see where that hen is. Yeah. Whenever all of his hens have gone, he's going to show up there. And I'm not sure that that's reliable every time, but obviously it's worked for some people and yeah. it would have worked in your case, you know? So yeah, yeah a fair amount of time, Tom's come in silent. That's another thing, mm-hmm. you know, you call, they gobble, you talk back and forth a little bit and they're on their way. And I've had this happen a few times where I'm like, man, they should be here by now. And I poke my head up or I crawl out a little bit and look to see if they're still out there. And I spook them. Yeah. That's it's like he was coming on a string. He was just coming quiet and taking his time. Yeah. Yeah. You kill turkeys with your butt is what a lot of people say. Like just sit and don't, get up and move like just stay where you're at that you know in, in reference to like you know you're saying like the fishing thing it's the same thing it's like guys that are like oh yeah this lure like this is the thing because they went out one time and they had it and uh ranella uh, talks about a lot like his brother is in fisheries and uh, he talks about being fooled by randomness it's like you just you put stock and like oh yeah that's the thing um <laughs> it's funny there's those those superstitions that go along with a lot of things in our lives especially things that are just where you don't see the whole picture of you know whether that be deer hunting turkey hunting fishing and so you're only you're operating on a limited amount of information now it's a little story so uh duck hunting I went out with uh, a group of guys in college a lot uh, and I had never really done it much. And when you're doing that, you, you get up early in the morning, you go to, or I shouldn't say when you're doing that. Um, there are, there are some places that we would duck hunt a lot where you had to draw in. And so you get up really early, go to a building and then each group would get to draw um, a block with a number on it. Um, you know, you reach your hand into a bin you can't see and you draw a number just because there'd be more parties that would want to hunt than there were spots to hunt. They only let so many groups hunt this, uh, this managed property so that there wasn't over pressure. And, uh, and there was always like talk of like, all right, who's going to draw? Oh, so-and-so drew a good number, you know, yesterday, let's let him draw. And it's like, oh, that group's got a kid with them. They're sure they're definitely going to draw in. And it was like, semi-serious a lot of the time yeah it's like oh he's on a bad streak surely he's gonna break it today let him go draw and and my dad came with me one time i was like man like that's like ridiculous and i never even like gave it much credence yeah but that next day i was like you know what this is silly like why are we even having this discussion and so it started that morning like as we're getting ready to go and and draw our thing and the guys are like oh who's gonna do it i'm like i'm i'm gonna draw today which most of the time, like you, you're either a hero or a zero. And so yeah. a lot of times like the person, you know, it's like fighting over not being the one to draw because you don't yeah. want to be the one to draw the low pill. And then it's like, everybody's <laughs> like, God oh, dang it, man. Like now we don't get to hunt today. Yeah. And so when I said that, everybody kind of looked at me, I was like, you know, this, this whole discussion, it's silliness. We're like, we're drawing a pill. It's random chance. And I went up there and I drew pill number one. Is that, I'm guessing that's good. That's like, that's the, the lowest spot. you can, yeah, the best spot. So we had our, our pick of where we got to hunt that day and walked over and showed the guys that pill. And they're like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. But again, it's like, that, that means nothing. Like I got lucky and, and drew a pill and just happened to, you know, be the day that I was like, I'm doing this. And this, this whole like discussion of, of who's going to be able to draw the lowest number is, uh, is folly. Yeah. Uh, All right. Let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Let's end on your favorite uh, turkey hunting story. Oh, my favorite. Actually, Mm -hmm. I think we talked about it in the last episode was the one we killed together. Okay. Favorite turkey that you've shot. Uh, okay. So my favorite turkey that I shot was, um, 
there was a year that I was struggling really bad with target panic. Oh boy. I've got a few good stories. I don't know. Well, you can tell um, a couple. We got time. Tell two. Two? Yeah. Okay. Well, one of my favorites was, um, so right behind my house, uh, is a little spot and I had permission on it. And so I, a lot of times could roost turkeys from my, uh, bathroom window. <laughs> um, so I just set up my spotting scope and watch them in the field that evening and they'd fly up in the tree and then I could set up on them the next day. And so in high school, um, I had prom the next day and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to turkey hunt. Cause like, sure enough, I'll get caught up doing something or be busy or whatever. And you know, I'll be late for prom or late to go get my tucks or whatever. So I was like, I'm not going to turkey hunt. And, um, then like late morning rolls around and I look out the back door and like they're out there mm. in the field and I was like, nah, I can't open that. <laughs> so I run, run, you know, back inside, grab my shotgun, grab my clothes, drive out there, get to the, uh, parking spot and park and then hike up the hill, sneak out there, um, out to the edge of the grass that, is on the top of this ridge and then below that is crops and so i just do a little calling a couple gobbles here they come blam shoot one and bring it home clean it and then like start getting ready for prom and it was just like cool because sometimes the best you know the best hunts or uh whatever come from like unexpected opportunity you know, mm-hmm. like when, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade, you know. So it was just like it was perfect and I couldn't help it and it, it just like worked out. So that was yeah. just a fun one because it, it almost felt like getting away with something, like getting away with a crime. Like it was like I'm not supposed to hunt because I got to, you know, make sure I'm ready for prom and, you know, not be late. Um, and... Uh, Pulled it off anyway, but so that was a fun one. Um, my probably my favorite turkey hunt of all time, or not of all time, but of ones that I've shot, um, was there was a year that I was really struggling with target panic and uh, or jumping when I was shooting mm-hmm. and um, flinching, and I think I had missed one that year already. And, uh, but I had taken several of my friends out and we killed turkeys. I think, uh, I called one in for my dad and he shot one with his bow. I think it was the same year that you killed one. Mm-hmm. Um, when I came out to your farm, um, my friend Tristan, I helped him get one. And then my girlfriend at the time, uh, she got one. She shot a Jake, which that's a good story. I'm going to have to tell that one. Okay. Yeah. Let's um, end on that. So, uh, she got one and then I had missed one. So it was like, I've gotten every helped everybody get turkeys, but me. And like, I got to fix this, you know? So I did, um, I knew this woodlot, um, where these, uh, turkeys like to roost. And so I just set up right where they were going to fly down, just put my, um, Tom decoy right, right where he was going to fly down. And sure enough, he's gobbling right behind me and this is like big woods that's one thing that i like is hunting near big big woods like Mm -hmm. giant trees that these things are in um and so he comes flying straight over my head and they're pretty noisy when they fly down like their wings and everything and he comes down and he starts like pumping his wings and like like he's gonna fight you know and he comes over and he's getting ready to engage the decoy and he might have even hit it a couple times like uh, uh beat it with his wings you know wing whipped it hmm. um and then i you know it started to like go through the the target panic thing and i was like no do not screw this up calm down and make a good shot you know and did it bam shot him dropped him and it was a uh, double beard tom Oh, and that's awesome. so that was cool and he had nice spurs and everything and it was like a little bit of redemption you know yeah um 
so that was that was my favorite one that I've ever shot. Uh, but another good story of of one that uh, my girlfriend at the time shot. Her name was Katie, and uh, been trying to get her one. And like I had let her use my 870 12 gauge, mm-hmm. and she's about five foot two, and <laughs> um, shooting three inch shells. And so that was a little much for her so she missed one earlier in the year from like 10 yards and um which actually is a little bit easier to miss them when they're that close because your pattern's not very spread out but right um she missed one and you know then i borrowed a friend of mine's 20 gauge that i killed my first turkey with uh semi-auto and so i take her out we spot these turkeys we decide to uh put the sneak on them and you know we're crawling through the woods or whatever and um we're close you know like we can see them through the trees uh and i think they're probably in range at that point and we're laying there and we're trying to get into position to get a good window to shoot through and everything and i like feel something in my shirt and I look down and about six inches of black snake is sticking out the bottom of my shirt. And so I, you know, and I can't freak out because we've got turkeys right there and we're trying to get a shot off, you know. So like I just, you know, as quietly as I could grab the tail of that snake and it was probably, I don't know, two, three feet. Like it wasn't a real big one. It was probably two feet long. Um, and I grab that thing and just like launch it <laughs> behind <laughs> me, you know, and then, and like I said, you can't talk about it. You can't freak out cause we're in the middle of it. And then, uh, we ended up shooting a Jake and it was a, it was a good hunt, but it was just, I'll never, never forget that having a snake coming up my shirt no while kidding, I'm trying man. to put a stock on something. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard that story. That's great. I knew you're like, didn't like snakes, but man, uh-huh. that's, uh, that's crazy. Yeah. I would, uh, I, I don't mind snakes as much, but that would have given me the heebie jeebies for sure. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I would have been able to kept my cool. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's cool. that was, those were some of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Those are some good stories. And hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get to add to that collection this year and get to do some hunting together. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to this episode. If you can do us a huge favor, like, subscribe, and comment wherever you're getting this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, share it with a friend. That word of mouth goes a long way. So thank you for listening, and happy hawking. See ya.